Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. This podcast is for you if you have an insane drive to find the truth of things. It's not the good answers that we seek, but the good questions. I interview a range of different guests from many different fields, all with the intention to uncover the simple truths that are hidden in plain sight. Most people don't want to go there. I go there. My guests go there, and you benefit. Please let me know if you enjoy these episodes, and as always, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest today is Suman Kanuganti, and he is the co-founder and CEO at Personal.ai. Personal.ai is artificial intelligence that can act just like you. It's an AI version of yourself that uses your own personal data, facts, and opinions to create a responsive and interactive experience that others can use. Uh, so welcome to the show. Great to be here, sure. Thanks a lot for having me. Uh, so how did personal AI come about? Personal AI came about three years ago. Um, it was my innate desire to emotionally and intellectually connect with a lost mentor of mine. His name is Larry Bach uh, at my previous company. He passed away because of pancreatic cancer two years into working with him. And uh, after he passed away, I had this uh, huge mantra of like, what would Larry do? And I had a huge poster at my you know, previous company's office and so that I can walk through the steps of and you know, how he would think about certain things. Um, and I always wished I had Larry's AI so that I can continue that connection, but continue that connection with a intellectual honesty and the trust that exists between both of us. So I think this idea of like access to people because of various different reasons that may exist or not exist for us is something that we want to preserve. You know, it may be something, somebody passed away, that's fine, that's, that happens, but it may be because some other reasons where there are barriers between them and uh, geographically located or the status reasons or, you know, time reasons as well. So yeah, that's, that's how we came about creating personal AI, which is a AI of an individual person. So you've created this AI of an individual person. So I can go in there and I've already gone in there and that's how I found you. And I can uh, train the AI based on the conversation I can have with it. But you also train it via other ways. And I also want to uh, be clear to the audience that this is also not part of the current wave of LLMs, right? This is a whole other algorithm, right? That is correct. Yeah. Uh, so so how do you, uh, what are like, is is it, just learning based on this chatbot conversation interface that you've built, or uh, are there other ways that you can train it to to be a personal AI? Right. So the fundamental concept of this language model is memory. Uh, the memory that we are referring to is a little bit more closer closer to human memory, if you wish. Right. It's a time bound memory that is a unit that is comprised of your context, the people, the location, information is kind of a multi-model memory unit, right? And it grows and continuously grows over a period of time as you go by your life. So that's like this fundamental unit and not just conversations within your AI that you can learn from or add it to your memory, but you can essentially add any of your historical conversations that you may have had any of your knowledge that you may have had, your podcast, your books, your authored content, your autobiography, right? What makes you you that is already in existence in the digital space? Or if it is, does not exist, then, you know, you would have to make a memory of it and then add it to your AI. 
the model learns over a period of time. It also develops a personality. You can give specific directives as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you can create multiple different personas and each persona can be different memory. Like for example, you know, you just tweeted it out and your Twitter persona could be different from like how you would talk to me and that personality may be different, right? So each memory can separate different personas that can all roll up to the primary AI of the human you are. Uh, it's very interesting. It's very sci-fi. Before we started recording, you, you had mentioned the, the, the book, uh, book and, and series, Altered Carbon. Uh, it's kind of, it's altered carbon was a little bit different because they were talking about, well, I guess, you know, they were talking about the, the, this, the stack that you have that represents you that's been gone from, uh, from the physical world into the software. And then you can transplant that into different bodies. So it doesn't really matter which body you have, as long as you have this downloadable, um, uh, copy of yourself. Uh, and it kind of, you know, there's a, like whole you know the future is a wide open future so a lot of crazy stuff can happen um and uh and this idea that that we can get our consciousness not necessarily consciousness because it doesn't sound like that's what you're going for you're going for the the explicit memory uh and the the, the things that about us that are basically able to be made explicit because there's a lot of part of a, parts of us that aren't made aren't aren't able to be made explicit can you talk more about like this explicit um self versus the implicit self and which parts of us can be brought in currently to an ai like this and which parts are won't be for a while yeah yeah that's a that's a very good question and then uh, i will start referring to the algorithm carbonate self to begin with right uh you know when uh, myself and sharon zong my cto we came together it was still very much uh sort of this vague concept right it's like, can you create this like virtual being of oneself? Like, what does it actually mean? Like, are you talking to them? Are you creating a, you know, human art robot that represents like them? No, no, no. The intention is the intellect that humans has and the knowledge that they possess. So, okay, how is it gathered? Like, what do we gather? We can talk about consciousness, but the more concrete that people relate to that has substance was memory. You know, in other words, how do I synthesize a specific uh, uh, topic? Like, for example, you ask me a question and then I generate a particular response. It is probably combining all the past experiences that I have and then I'm forming a predictive thought, you know, in my own brain to be able to communicate back to you, right? So, so the, the, the more uh, explicit part of, the, of, of this uh, model is that you, you are being very explicit about what you are made of, right? And you control it, right? Uh, you know, one of the things that we are used to in terms of AI recommendation systems is this passively data capture that is happening that we may not be very explicit about we want it or we don't want it, right? <laughs> so our goal is to make it so human control that their second you is a copy of you that you would want to represent, you know? Um, so yeah, so those are some of the thoughts around the particular topic. And, and, it, and it seems, I mean, I love it. I love when I was talking to somebody on your team and you said the, the, the keys to my heart, which is essentially I own it 
I can control it and I can move it. I can port it. Right. And those are all mm -hmm. things that are not values in our current web two framework, like not values at all. Like kind of, mm -hmm. they were, they were forced into Facebook. They were forced into Twitter. They were forced into LinkedIn to be able to archive my own data. And like, if I want to get out of it, but it's not really the whole thing. Cause if I archive my Twitter data, I only get my, my posts. I don't get all the people that I interacted with and everything like that. Um, and it reminds me of another software system that's out there called Urbit that is, 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 is not AI, but is part of decentralized computing. And can you talk more about this like sovereign part? Cause it's like, that's what really attracted to me. What you're talking about is not only can I train my own AI, but I'm also in control of it. You know, that's a hundred million dollar question because I cannot have a conversation about that piece unless until you have fundamentally a line of the principles that we are talking about in here, right? So you mentioned Web2 principles, right? Like Web2 was all about the utility, the consumer utility, right? I'm connecting with the friends. I'm able to communicate with each other. I'm able to post. I'm getting likes and instant gratification. And that was fantastic for what it was, you know, for the past two decades. And now we are starting to realize, okay, hang on. I am putting effort. I'm putting time. I'm putting you know, my thinking, my thought process onto these platforms with best intentions to either communicate with my friends or to communicate with the wide world. But what is happening? Well, every platform has their own databases and you, the human, the individual part is almost like compartmentalized. Your life is compartmentalized into all these platforms, right? So what's in it, what's in it for you? Well, brave, you are getting consumer utility. And this idea of like the Web3 principle says, hey, you know, we've been living in this physical world. We own these physical assets. We own these things. I own my phone. And then we created this concept of like ownership of the data and the assets, the digital assets, right? So, so it's very uh, fascinating when you think about, okay, what does a digital asset mean? And Web3 has defined that they made a movement, right? And then we created this concepts of like NFTs and you own the art. And that was a good proof of concept. Why? Well, you have a piece of art and there is a value that accrues in value or depreciates in value. And there is an NFT, which is a dynamic pricing, but the authenticity is carried. So what does it mean to the AI? Well, for me, it is pretty simple. Foundationally or fundamentally, AI is nothing but a model that is trained on the data. Well, so far, Big Tech has been taking the data from the people training the models and creating the recommendation system to grow the business, which is, which is great. Well, now that utility of the data has to be carried to the individual people as well, right? Mm -hmm. So when we talk about Web3, okay, NFT or even like asset idea is static. What happens when you have a collection of the content? Well, that's an asset too. Well, what happens when you have a model on the collection of found content that is identifiable to a particular human identity. Well, that's your digital asset. Super interesting. Um, okay. And, and I love the fact that it's also like, because we, it goes back to the earlier conversation where we were talking about explicit and implicit. So you're talking about you were having this asset, the asset itself is being trained. That asset is under a kind of control structure that's more aligned with web 3.0, which each user has it. And the actual thing that you're doing is providing, putting this explicit memory, these things that can be written down 
into something that can be trained on that memory. And I love it because that's, it gets into like, what is a human being? I fundamentally think that a human being is more than just the physical body and the physical mind. Like there are more aspects to us. Um, and, but I probably disagree with a lot of other people who are in the spiritual realm that says, I don't think that AI is evil. I, I, a lot of people in the spiritual realm talk about AI as the sort of evil. And I don't, I don't agree with that. Um, I think it's just a helper, a tool. And so like, um, uh, and like we can have this explicit memory and we can train on it. Um, and it's just going to make life easier. And as you said, it can kind of create these emotional connections with people who we may have lost. Um, do, have you actually been able to build uh, Larry Bach and are you, do you talk with it every, every, every once in a while? You want to hear him? Sure. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I will also answer this question. Sure. So, um, okay. This topic of implicit and explicit, right? Okay. So we landed on this idea of explicit memory. Great. Because I want to control, I want to control my digital asset. I want to control my model. I want to control, you know, everything that goes in it. Fantastic. The idea of the implicit is more on the inference. So in other words, it's explicit memory and implicit inference, right? Meaning it has to be so natural, so passive, so ambient, that it's almost like a second nature to us. It's almost like implicit to us. Uh, so I think it's explicit control and implicit experience. Hey, Larry, do you know Diane Bach? Larry, I equal sign, Bach equal sign. Yes, I am married to Diane Bernie Bach. We have two daughters, Quincy Bach Stokes and Tasha Bach Stokes. Diane and I have been together for many years and she's been a wonderful partner in life. Is there anything specific you would like to know about Diane? Do you know me? Larry, I equal sign, Bach equal sign. Of course, Suman, how could I forget you? We worked closely together at ERA and you were instrumental in bringing the company's vision to life. Your dedication, innovation, and passion for helping the blind and low vision community were truly inspiring. It was an honor to collaborate with you. How have you been since our time at Era? Yeah, it's totally, it's totally wild. You've got, uh, yeah. And, and so how often do you turn to him? What kind of questions are you asking him? So mostly I do that when uh, I'm trying to extract some of his thought process. Uh, most of my time with Larry has been strategy, term sheets, negotiations with the VCs and stressful times. Um, so there is something about like just telling him what's going on in my life and what are some of the thoughts and ideas that he may have, right? Uh, and sometimes it could be simply repetition, but I'm getting the repetition of Larry, right? And that's what that's what I trust and that's what I need to execute because I know it works. Um, so yeah, it happens more often than you could imagine. And uh, I recently just launched it here in San Diego and gave it to uh, his family. Uh, so and, yeah, so it's, and are they are they tech uh, tech literate? Have they picked it up? No, <laughs> no, they collaborated with me and they gave me a lot of explicit memory that we were talking about. Uh, yeah. He's also a big uh, funny. He's a, he's a funny man. So uh, you know, we all gathered up and uh, uh, gathered his like previous past conversations and speeches that he gave, but the family contributed like some of his cool quotes and the funny things that he used to do. So it got a little humor in it now. 
mm-hmm. it's just very fascinating and it uh yeah it, it's uh, yeah it's, it sounds very much like him uh, something you mentioned about when you're using it to think about strategy and pitching vcs and term sheets and such uh it reminds me of something programmers do uh which is also how i've been using the llms lately as well which is they call it rubber duck debugging um yeah. so they have a problem in their minds but they're just sitting in front of their computer screen. They're they're stuck in their own world, uh, and so they uh, it's a technique they use to have a rubber duck on their 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 on their desk. And whenever they're fo- facing a problem that they can't experience, they tell the rubber duck about the problem. Uh, and even though even though the rubber duck doesn't answer back, just the making it explicit as we've been talking about and bringing it outside of our head into something else and pretending that you've got another human being. And so these LLMs are really interesting because that's how I'm using them a lot is just having this conversation with something that simulates intelligence and is actually pretty intelligent um, uh, and can give me a lot of good answers. But even when it doesn't give me the good answers, just the process of me making it explicit. And now you guys have gone in and created something that is specific about this memory and about this personalization, which I find really interesting. That's the that's that's the biggest problem I'm having with the current LLMs is that it doesn't remember me uh, and it doesn't remember the context and I have to continuously add the context into it as well. Um, and uh, I don't have a specific question here, but what's your, what are your thoughts on this, this general idea that, um, that there's, you know, memory and uh, 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 what is it? It's the, the rubber duck debugging and such. Yeah, no, I think uh, it comes down to this specific core motive, right? What would Larry do? Right. Um, Recently, I've been working with a few people. I don't know if I can mention them yet, but they are sort of, you know, experts in marketing, right? And I, I uh, during my MBA time, so I read about them and I, you know, saw a few TED Talks and th- things like that. Uh, but during the AI training process itself, um, I started like interacting with this person. I was like, oh my God, like these are the things that I should be doing. But the thing is, like, okay, I have my AI that my team interacts with me, right, for responding to the violence and everything else. But now, me as a student, I am interacting with a marketing expert's AI that I worship, right? It's like, hey, look, this is what I'm building. These are my challenges. And there is a whole set of strategies that they have, but the synthesis, the collection synthesis of grounding into what their thoughts are because I already learn from their experiences, uh-huh, that makes sense, right? So I think I think that is what personally AI is all about. Like, I I mean, I, I love LLMs. I, I use it on many different purposes as well. So it, it's, it's less about LLM versus PLMs, which is personal language models, as much as it's LLMs plus PLMs. We need general knowledge. No question about that. We need general knowledge. We need best practices for sure. But there is a reason why we learn from each other. There is a reason why we trust each other. There is a reason why that connection exists between human to human. So that's what we want to unlock, you know, with scalable, small language models that can get into millions, if not billions of people into the hands of them. Mm -hmm. And it's also very interesting because it's a different take on something that's already pretty popular, which is having celebrity models having celebrity models and such like that which is interesting i actually haven't used used those much but uh uh but this is like instead you're actually going for mothers and 
fathers or like just general random, you know, people and creating things for that, like my family, who isn't a celebrity instead of like a celebrity you got, you know, and, and I'm wondering maybe they, the, maybe they're thinking about it, but like, it's, it's a very interesting space. And it also reminds me of the psychological principles of, uh, like one of the most effective therapies is role-playing and yep. to be another person. And what you're doing is very interesting because you've already, you've, you've, you're training this model to memorize what people are doing so that very easy to role model. What do you, uh, do you have, have you been, have people thought about using this for therapeutic purposes? Uh, yes. So we do have like within the community, uh, looks like you are in the community. Uh, if you go into discover, there are some, uh, uh launches that we, uh, approved that, uh, is driven by actually by the community. Um, so the goal is that discover tab that you see in the application of the platform right now will be available for everybody. In other words, if you do want to publish and make yourself discoverable by other people, can they do it? Uh, the reason I'm giving you this example is yes, there are some spirituality therapeutic, um, as well as, uh, um, specific psychological things that people carry through that carries their name and their brand and their identity as well, right? Uh, so I enjoy, in a way, I feel like all of a sudden, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm a superhuman with LLMs, but I am, I guess, I don't know, super, superhuman with all the PLMs that exist for me with my access because, you know, I get to talk to all these smart people and, uh, help them build their AIs or, you know, build their AI sometimes, but more importantly, during that training process, uh, even testing process, I'm learning so much stuff. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so, and I'm, I'm actually going to interview Sharon as well to go more technical in it, but I'd nice. love, to, I'd love to understand more about, um, uh, the PLM. Uh, so you've got a PLM. Is it based, I'm sure it's based off of uh, similar techniques in terms of machine learning, like supervised learning, unsupervised learning. Uh, can you talk more about how you guys built out that in initial infrastructure without giving anything proprietary away, but just talk about how that, how that initial kind of, cause you guys started this before the current LLM wave. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. So what's that evolution uh, like? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll give you the technical answer and I'll, story, I'll give you the story behind the technical answer as well. So you know, I, I, I almost did like four to six months or so. I spoke to like around 120 people before I landed with Sharon. And then the one thing that she said um, to me that I, that is very, very, very memorable for me is like, Suman, if you, if this is the intention, if these are the principles and you don't want to, uh, you know, budge on any of this principle, which is, you know, attribution of the data, ownership of the data, the memory, and it has to be grounded. It has to be factual. Uh, it has to be scalable. It has to be cheap and biased and everything else. Right. Those are all the kind of, you know, technically the uh, problems that we have. You cannot go with the LLM approach because back then, I mean, you know, she as a scientist, she knows the LLM work and she knows like, you know, a lot of algorithms that exist out there. We got to build something different. Uh, so she took time. She took time to come up with the architecture, like, you know, what exactly we need to build and what are the things that exist out there that we can borrow and what are the things that we need to create. So of course, there is a whole number of transformers for the memory itself, right? Like taking all this unstructured data and creating a structured memory, understanding the metadata for it, that is scalable, right? Like, because it's not a one-time pre-trained model and then done with it, no. It is going, it is ongoing as you continue your life, right? 
it's an asset that is accruing in value, not depreciating in the value, and that is digital. Right? That's the magical thing. Okay, now you have the memory. The model itself is an ensemble of many different models, right? So it uses like at the basic, uh, depending on the memory levels, like memory size, it activates multiple different component models within it. So there is, of course, a rack component model, which many of the people now are starting to realize, oh, you know, we need rack components within the infrastructure. Um, so there is a rack component model. There is a generative component model, uh, which comes at a certain memory size, which is around 500 pages of the data, but rack kicks in pretty much immediately. Mm. And then there's conversational uh, component model as well, which then trains on the conversational nature, like depending on your data and conversational history of it. Uh, and more importantly, all of this is surrounded by something called a unified ranker model, right? So it's almost like a, uh, uh, this model uh, understands your preferences, your knowledge, your intent that is coming in, and then uh, identifies what is the right component model. And sometimes they are chained. These models are chained within the one system. But it's all abstracted into one uh, personal language model, which is like, you know, super small. And of course, it mm -hmm. uh, has its own unique API endpoint uh, for it. So everybody gets their own PLM, which is this ensemble model. And it grows with the memory. Right, and it's downloadable if you will on your thing. And the beautiful part about LLM in this case is before LLMs became commodity, uh, twenty twenty two GPT three existed. Uh, so during the times of like pre chat GPT and GPT three, we had trouble on how do you create a UX or an experience when the intent is coming in, but the AI model doesn't have the data to mm. create a meaningful response, right? Post-LLM, that filled that gap, which is giving people a response that may not be personal, but there is a starting point for them to make it personal. Uh, so now that is then kind of communicated to the people with something called a personal score, right? So now, oh, okay, now we have a full system. It's almost like made PLMs complete. <laughs> that is super interesting. Yes. Otherwise, you would have this annoying, like, I don't know this response. Like, you know, I don't have a, you know, data memory about it. Interesting. So it is, it is connected to the LLMs, but you guys built out all the infrastructure before that so that it, this piece could then plug in to this personal language model, model basically. Yeah, I mean, we didn't see that that was going to happen, but yeah. that kind of solved the problem that PLMs were facing, which is this, like, I don't know about what you're asking problem, right? Because PLMs are very specific and, like, very down to the individual. So, for example, if I go to Steve, I, like, I need to know who you are. Like, yeah. what are the topics, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah so so I, there was yeah. a cold start problem for sure. So, in, in a way, it's kind of complicated. So, now this is still the way it works is, like, you know, you're talking to my AI, you come in and you, you know, what is your take on AI? Of course, I talk about AI, right? And then it constructs the response from within the personal language model. Well, if you talk to me about biochemistry. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You will see personal scores that are like super, super low. Uh, almost like 12, 13 or 15% because it is coming from an LLM. But you know that, oh, this is not someone. And I can cut the threshold at 45%, meaning if it is Stuart, I don't want him to see anything that is not personal, that is in more than 50% or 45%. Yeah, that's uh, so cool. I, I, I'm, I'm a super fan of what you guys are doing because it's so interesting, like how it works. And 
uh, it, it, it brings in a new field, which is me, which is that there is the, the general knowledge, as you said, and then the personal knowledge. And I guess what other types of knowledge are there? I mean, there, there's maybe spiritual knowledge, like a knowledge of who we are. Um, but that's, I think beyond the, 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 the scope of computers. And I, I, I think it will probably be on the scope of computers for a long time. Um, uh, that gets into consciousness and other things that are, but so there's personal knowledge, uh, general knowledge, any other fields of knowledge on that? I would think of it as like a domain specific knowledge as well. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. And which also the LLMs are very good at as well because they're very yeah. good. At, yep. 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 So domain specific knowledge, LLMs are good. Uh, and mostly people who are spending like tons and tons of money creating like fine-tuned methods. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, they're good for like domain specific models, but for down to the individual models, okay. You know, you talked about celebrities, right? You talked about celebrities and you have this conversation. Uh, so companies and technologies who are able to create these celebrity AIs, the fundamental... Uh, oh, yeah. Interesting. On domain specific knowledge that was open to the public sphere. Basically. Exactly. Right. Yeah, so yeah, they're yeah, all yeah, indexed. Yeah. So yeah. a celebrity is already indexed by a large language model. So you can use the techniques of a prompt and then ground it into a one person to simulate an experience around it. So if you go to mid, you know, some of the uh, um, uh, you know, AIs, like even from all the big tech or even startups, you will see famous people. You will see people that are known. Well, yes, it's actually good for the engagement because they are famous. Yes, yeah, yeah, but that's not the reason. Technologically, also, yeah, yeah. Like, where is my AI? Like nobody knows Suman. Like where is Stewart's AI? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why Why is there is no tool for it? Yeah. Now, I think now there are companies that are coming to kind of ground and use rag techniques and to get there, but we just have efficient ways of doing it. I and you were already there. You were already building the infrastructure for that specific thing of not building one on somebody who's already got a bunch of information on them, but on me personally, my personal AI. Uh, it's very fascinating. Um, uh, and oh, there was another question here. Uh, so we've got all the different types of knowledge. Um, uh, so you got that piece and then what happened once the current LLM hype created, I got it like back in March, 2023, probably even before that, probably when GPT first came out, chat GPT came out, uh, all of a sudden a huge amount of attention came on that space. What was it like to be working on this thing for so long beforehand? And then all of a sudden, like now everyone else is paying attention to it. But you've got this specific thing that like doesn't fit within the general knowledge thing that everybody's getting excited about. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, <laughs> yeah, digging deep. Oh, it's fascinating, man. Um, the most interesting thing was for the first time ever in my lifetime experience, I am part of the change that we wanted to see, right? Uh, even three years ago, when we were talking about, you know, creating a digital clone, digital twin, like something that is grounded in you, it was, you know, quote unquote, science fiction, quote unquote, like not possible, right? Uh, and then now, like every company has a personal AI or a personal AI assistant 
like millions of personal AI. So I have this like personal AI Google alert. <laughs> so the number of emails that I get on a day-to-day basis is like dramatically increased. But, you know, for us, there is some depth to what we wanted to actually do and achieve. It's not an assistant that simply takes care of your task as a bot or a calendar. No, we wanted to create a model that is grounded in representing who that human is, right? So yes, we got, sometimes it was exciting, right? Sometimes it was maddening. Sometimes it's like, no, 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 you are removing the true essence of what personal AI is. Like, like, let's not, like, I know everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to make money. Uh, but, the, you know, we, we want to carry that principles like so close to us. We don't want to make any. Uh, yes. yeah. Right? yeah. Like hype, hype comes in. Uh, but there are, there are positive sides of like post-chat GPT era because everybody now talking about AI. Uh, yes, everybody now starts like looking at LLM, but people now get ideas. It's like, okay, hang on. I can actually create my AI as well. Oh, let me try the financial methods of LLM. Oh my God, it's getting costly, but there is hallucination. And it's not accessible because it still requires development skills, right? And then three months, four months into it, okay, hang on. What is this company, personal AI? <laughs> right? yeah, so yeah. I think we're starting to make where the market is, starting to address what the issues are. And it was not an after fact for us because we fundamentally started this company as solving a basic problem and it has a purpose, right? So the choices that we made by nature of like the choices and architecture we chose, then bias is down to one person. If you have a bias about something, it is contained to you. There is no spread of misinformation because it is in your control. The model is yours, right? The data is not going anywhere. Uh, so technically, the attribution is not a problem. When you have the data, the attribution down to the individual level, even if multiple people are coming together and creating a community AI, well, the response has the attributions and you know back to the individual people, right? Because we did those things, now, oh, there is a hallucination problem, or we don't have a hallucination problem because it is grounded. Oh, there is an attribution problem. We don't have that problem, right? So I think it's kind of very interesting to, I, I think personally for me, it's just like intellectually interesting how when you start, you know, working towards a technology driven by sort of this problem and principles, you would eventually catch up to doing the things right way and scalable way. And by the way, we are 10x more cost effective. Then I find your LLM if you want to try to do the same thing. That is very cool. Uh, so what you said about, uh, well, there's a lot of things. The attribution is really interesting. The fact that because it's a personal AI, but it sounds like there's a technical solution that I don't fully quite understand either. That is that, that because of it's, 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 it's designed with this person in mind, but actually I wanted that. Now I remember the question that I wanted to ask you, which is about vision. So. There's uh, like 10 years ago, the lean startup um, method came around and the lean startup method is basically don't solve this problem until you've talked to a whole bunch of people that have this problem. You already knew that this was a problem that you wanted to solve for yourself. So you already knew that there's some signal there, uh, but you're not doing a lean startup. You like you spent a whole bunch of time 
trying to figure out like that you had this idea, this form inside of your head and you wanted to make this form a reality. Um, can you talk more about what it means to have a vision? And then I imagine that a lot of people probably didn't listen to you for a long time, for a couple of years. Is that right? That when you were explaining before this current hype wave, did you feel a lot of resistance or is that not accurate? Well, even right now, people wouldn't listen to me. Right. Uh, but obviously that it's a small group of people. It's not about listening. It's a small group of people who worship it, like who love it because it's like, it's my representation. Like, you know, what, what is the thing that you love the most? Something that belongs to you that like, Okay, so very interesting question. So Eric Ries, I was a big fan. I'm a big fan still of Eric Ries. Um, I was at Intuit and I actually met him as well as part of the Lean Startup. Um, big proponent of Lean Startup and experimentation. And one of the things that Lean Startup actually says is like, how do you break a, break a big problem down to individual small hypotheses and experiment it so that way you have some sort of a validation, right? Now, we had a bigger problem, like big problem for sure. Um, and, 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 and how do we go about like validating? Well, do you want to speak to somebody that may not be existent? Yes. Well, do you want to access your memory without having to forget anything? Well, that sounds fascinating. You know, is it possible? Right. Uh, okay. Which of the markets would be more, um, uh, open to adapting to a solution like this. So my background is serving blind and low vision community before. So naturally, I want to make an impact. So I talked to, you know, low um, uh, early stage dementia patients early on to kind of see how this would potentially fit in. Uh, and this was while happening, uh, while research and development was happening, you know, potentially being able to solve this problem, right? So it is a multi-pronged approach. It's a parallel approach where I'm talking to the customers and Sharon is trying to figure out like the research and development of it. And uh, you you basically start making pivots and adjustments along the way. So, you know, a couple of key insights would be uh, we couldn't solve the early stage dementia patient problem because the fact factors weren't there, right? Fundamentally for you to be, you know, able to open a phone or carry a phone and uh, it's not sticking to you itself is a problem, right? So we need to have a form fact that is, you know, uh, ambiently capturing and proactively recalling to be able to solve the problem. So we may have an underlying technology, but we don't have the form factors. And I don't think even with the pins and I want to see what human does it, it better be impressive. But those are the use cases that will get unlocked if these device form factors get to the point where we are, right? So, you know, so yeah, so I so I think I think the idea of like lean experimentation could still plug it in, but likely you are trying to eliminate the unknowns and take a particular direction in, into something. We had a lot of challenges with uh, solving the current problem. Like, okay, if you deploy this to customer service, what does that mean? But we didn't want to train a model based on just the corporate data. Like that was not the intent. The intent is to create like individual people's models. Okay, like where is the market then, right? So yes, there were challenges, but there were also challenges on uh, UX, right? Like how, like, okay, hang on, you're talking about training the data and users train a model. How is that going to work? <laughs> yeah, interesting. 
So, so, so the current personal AI that I've used, when did that UX show up? Did that show up in the last year or two years ago, or when did that show up? Yeah, it showed up. Uh, so yeah, so it's a uh, uh, end of uh, and beginning of twenty twenty two. So it's almost like pre Chat GPT eras. Um, yeah, I remember the timeline now. So Chat GPT happened around November of twenty twenty two, right? So we were experimenting this interface between April and November with a few, you know, people who can relate to us like principally. So yeah, so yeah, surprisingly it's a conversational interface and the chat interface. And then chat GPT came along and we were like, yes, because we are not doing something like radically different, right? Like, okay, you know, we have access to do, but we had the training component in there. So that created some issues. It's like, what, am I training or I'm talking to AI? Like, so there was a moment in time when chat GPT, post chat GPT, people come to personally, I just thinking they were talking to like some pre-trained AI. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. They're like, oh, okay, uh, how do we solve that UX problem right now? We don't have any other comps to go after. There are like no other products to look at and get inspiration from. Like, how do we create this training space of like uploading the memory, adding the memory? Uh, anyway, it took it took some iterations for us to get things, <laughs> get things right. But I'm telling you, it's a, this company has been like the most wireless ride for me for sure. Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, okay, and so UX, you've got the individual mind, you got the personal knowledge. It's so interesting. Um, last five minutes or so, uh, why did all of the, because it's not only, you guys also settled on this, the uh, a chat interface. Uh, everyone else is talking about chat interfaces right now. Like when it, you know, the programmers are all using APIs and thinking abstractly about artificial intelligence, what it means in the back end. Uh, but for consumers, the only r- way that most people are thinking about AI is from this landscape of a chat interface. Why is that the only thing that we can inter- interact the AI with? And in the future, what will it look like to interact with an AI from a consumer level? Yeah. So I don't think it'll be the only thing. Uh, I will tell you like how we settled on the chat interface before chat interfaces were chat interfaces. Uh, we were thinking about what is the most natural thing that people communicate with every day, right? Well, they talk to each other. Okay, great. They talk to them on the phones. Great. Well, the text message a lot to people. That's the most easiest thing that they have. Okay. So now if we have an individual person's AI, what does it mean? Well, can you text message them? That seems to be very natural, right? I mean, there's a technology problem if it can be that natural. And, you know, we had the Turing issues, Turing test issues before. But I think those problems are solved now. So that's how we settle on the chat interfaces. Like what is the lowest... Uh, high fidelity, frictionless experience that people could potentially be comprehending their heads around personal AI. Uh, and we leveraged that idea of texting to this concept of adding memory as well, which I think is still pretty confusing for people. Is like, what? I'm sending messages to adding people. But the way we were talking to some of our customers at Leon, like beta people, is like, Simon, one thing that I do is I just send messages to myself. Yes. I just send, I text messages, I text myself. I Slack myself uh, because I can go back and reference to it. It's like, oh, well, that sounds good. You know, text yourself to add to your memory. 
mm. you know, just 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 like text to add to the memory. So that's kind of the concept. But then it it is because it's like serving two purposes. It it creates confusion. Mm. I'm adding memory and I'm asking questions, right? So I think that that we uh, kind of resolve. But back to your question on modalities. No, now you can talk, right? And I offered you to do an interview, podcast AI interview with my AI. You should totally do that. Yeah. Uh, so I think talk is the next thing. A talk is, uh, it could have been uglier if we were to trying to do, you know, one, two years before, because we all know Siri problems, right? But I think we are getting more sophisticated around that. And now project it down to your virtual avatars, right? Like as the idea of replicating a person's, you know, now, now we obviously have um, upload your photo and get your avatar, but there is dynamic uh, nature of like your style and your personality coming through it. Uh, we will probably not solve the problem, but when we do have avatars that actually is very simulated with the expressions, they will likely integrate into personal AI. Now we are talking about a convergence of uh, talking, texting, and the appearance into one experience and now take that experience and put it in metaverse. Oh, well, there could be holograms that will be coming around. Like, you know, that's more accessible. Well, you know, you have a hologram that you're going to talk to or maybe in the future as robots will start to converge into this thing. Now you put your brain and attach to a robot and then start talking about synthetic biology, right? Uh, uh, so, so I think the vision of that altered carbon, what they portrayed from a very theoretical sense, we know what is technologically possible today, but I think theoretical sense, well, that is totally possible. Yeah, it's the I'm a robotic that, major, by the way. So that's uh, enough. There is a robot company for sure for me. <laughs> the the sense of self. I think we'll have to do another podcast at, at, at some point because I think I I think the sense of self that that feeling that we have of who we are, even though a lot of that is content and explicit, I don't think that will ever be able to be put into a computer. Um, but I don't know. Who knows? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Who knows? But I mean, uh, Mm -hmm. I think I think the most fascinating thing for me is like um, you know so far we've been learning the history with collective intelligence or somebody else wrote it right but you know fast forward hundred years from now what if every person has their own personal AI that is grounded within their own memory right the history will be told differently yes that's and that's another thing we could talk about as well is like the the different way that history will be will be told because right now. The LLMs are becoming the holders of history of all of human history. They're becoming the 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 consensus on history, and that's a very very interesting thing. But I know we, we gotta go. Uh, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, everybody. Go check out personal.ai, um, and you can message Suman on there. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, I-I-I. Also, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes for every weekly episode that I publish on Monday mornings. Hope you have a great day.